Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, VPG's Generation Innovation Summer Litigation Assistant, Kiana Solomon, will chat with Deepa Tharmaraj on our virtual water cooler chat. Deepa Tharmaraj has 25 plus years of commercial and corporate law experience in tech in various capacities and countries. In FTSE 100, Fortune 500, and now a NASDAQ-listed company, her career has largely been driven by combining purpose, passion, and principles, which has led her to lead a global workplace movement focused on cultural inclusion with 10,000-plus members in the Fortune 500 company, and founded a not-for-profit for women's empowerment called WELL, www.womenlifeleadership.org to facilitate conversations and connections on faith and leadership for women everywhere. Deepa is a passionate leader and a DEIA enthusiast and has the kindest heart. Let's get started and learn about Deepa's leadership journey. Hi Deepa and welcome on behalf of VPG. How are you doing today? I'm good. What about you, Kiana? I'm great. I'm super excited to have this opportunity to speak with you on the virtual water cooler chat podcast. Uh, As my personal introduction, I'm a pre-law student and a litigation assistant at VPG, but I'm more curious to hear about you and to start off how you met Ashley and how you guys connected. Thanks a lot, Kiana. And, you know, really thank you for taking the time, you know, on a Saturday afternoon to go through this, um, you know, this enlightening session. Ashley and I met through a mutual friend. And although we are in two different continents, we started exchanging messages over LinkedIn and we just connected. You know, there are some friends where you feel that you have similar, there are commonalities. And I think that is a theme that you will see across our you know, podcast today about building strong friendships and strong connections. And how do you do that? It is really when you feel that the other person has got similar interest with you, then you're able to find that safe space where you can have conversations and you know bounce off certain ideas. So that's how we met. That's awesome. And can you tell me a little bit more about your background? I know you grew up in Malaysia. So I'm curious to hear your story of what it was like growing up there and how that brought you to the law. Yeah, you're right. You know, I am a a Malaysian. I was there for the first 18 years of my life. I was born and brought up in Malaysia. Um, My dad was, I think, the third generation And so our ancestors are from a southern state in India called Kerala. Now, culturally, uh, we call ourselves Malaysians because it is an amalgamation of, you know, various cultures in Malaysia. It's a multiracial society. And um, in Malaysia, we are all very hot on food. You know, talk about we just enjoy all types of different food uh, from spicy to non-spicy and um, and also lots of outdoor fun because, you know, it's tropical sunshine most of the time, except when it rains. But, you know, we we love our outdoor activities. Now, my parents are um, middle class family, um, hardworking, and they prioritized education and also faith. And so. 
in a way, my three younger sisters and myself, that's what we were built on. You know, we were built on hard work, yet overcoming adversity. And really with a heart to help others as well. So that is the background. And how did that transition into your early career, your higher education, and eventually when you moved on to start working? It's interesting. Um, You know, they say that how you land in your final career is important because sometimes you've got to reflect on where it all started. And growing up in Malaysia, I think just like many of us in different countries, we see a lot of injustice and unfairness around us. And for some reason, that agitated me. So I'm going to tell a funny story. And so my earliest memory of something that really annoyed me was when I was about maybe seven or eight years old. My sister and I, we were in the park or in some countries you call them playgrounds. And uh, we were playing on the swing, you know, up and down, up and down. And a few boys rather large, you know, who were like probably double our sizes, they came up to us, you know, asking us to get off the swing. And and so they started, in a way, bully my sister, who was probably a lot smaller, probably, you know, four years old. And she, um, and so I got, you know, I got all, I'm rocked up to them, you know, little scrawny two legs rocked up to them. And I stood in front of my sister and I said, go away, don't disturb us. And from a distance, they, you know, threw stones at me. And so I landed with a cut on my head, you know, blood streaming down my head. But that is the essence of my story, which is I can go back to as young as that age to know that I've always wanted to become a lawyer. And so through school, then I started to take up subjects and do debates and elocutions, you know, so that I could develop the way in which I expressed myself. So that's how I was, you know, that gave me the springboard to to read law in the UK. And what exactly brought you to the UK? It was to study law um, in the UK. And I know, Kiana, you're studying in the US. Um, In the UK, you know, you right after A-levels, you go on to study three years of bachelor's in law. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came to the UK. And I met my husband then, and we went back to Malaysia because he's also Malaysian, got married, had my first daughter, and then we came back to the UK. What were some challenges that you faced when moving to a new country and adapting to the culture? I'm going to use another example, which is in one of my jobs um, more recently, um, my family and I were relocated to Dubai. And um, I would say that with, um, I thought that because I had the experience of growing up in Malaysia, where there is a melting pot of cultures, and then I moved to the UK to study Um, And then for, you know, temporary time, we did go back to Malaysia, but we came back to the UK. So that was a new country that I was very well prepared for our transition to Dubai. Mm. But it was far from truth. You know, I wasn't ready or I wasn't prepared for some of the things that I had to adapt to. So that's another, you know, important word, how you adapt to different cultures. Mm. And so when you asked me, like, the challenges 
first one, I would say I, I can think of three, and I'm sure different people have got different experiences. It's interesting in in Middle East, or at least in Dubai, I found that curiosity, like curiosity, is an essential part of our you know learning and growth journey. But curiosity started with nationality. What is your nationality? And for better or worse, that question could then translate into bias and stereotype, or it could be, you know, um, an understanding of certain cultures being more inferior or superior. Mm. So that was a real, you know, um, learning how to navigate through questions like that without judging anyone else. Because in some countries, our conversation starters could be in England. It's like, what is your, what's the weather like, you know, yeah. in your side of you know, England or in certain other countries, it could be, oh, what's your family name or yeah. which tribe you are from, you know, in certain cultures, it's which tribe do you belong to? Or it could be, oh, which school did you go to? Or what is your job? You know, like if you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant, immediately there is, you know, uh, an expectation. Mm-hmm. So in Middle East, it was, you know, what is your nationality? So in a way, it was learning through different conversation starters. Secondly, I also found that I had to learn and um, adjust to communication styles, where, you know, now I know why it's important to have face-to-face meetings with yeah. You know, in Middle East, because the body language gives you so much, which you couldn't really gauge from a Zoom conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, you also learn about, you know, there is Lebanese to Jordanian to Egyptians, you know, and that in itself and how the Arabic language could be slightly different from, you know, one country to another. So again, you know, just that realization and appreciating how Arab doesn't just mean one bucket. There are so many buckets, sub-buckets in an Arab culture. As a Middle Eastern myself, I just, I know how important not only the expression of the words are in the language, yes. but also expression of the body is a hugely behavioral language. Yes, exactly. And also the intonation, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, from being soft-spoken to quiet, animated, which is where, which was really interesting, um, trying to understand what someone was saying through the animation. But that was really good. And thirdly, I suppose the downside with moving to another country is you can get lonely very quickly. And that is where the value of having building communities or be, you know, joining a community is important. And building friendships is important because if you don't make an effort, it then can just become your colleagues. That is your circle, which is not enough. You do need circles beyond your colleagues at your workplace in a new country. You'll need communities and you'll need, you know, friendships Mm -hmm. uh, because your family isn't around, you know, so you lose that element of family, which leaves you with just friends and communities. So that is, I suppose, the downside of relocating, you know, living in a, another new country. What are some um, steps that you took to build those circles outside of your colleagues or outside of the academic environment? For, for some of us, it's a, I think there is a 
natural transition, I would say, in the sense that where if you belong to a certain belief, you know, you would join that same group in that environment. Uh, so, for example, I am a woman of faith where I've always gone to churches, which meant that when I came to Dubai, I was able to join a church, a local church, and I was able to build friendships. That's one. Number two is by joining running groups, you know, like that's a great way to get my exercise in. So by joining running groups, I was making new friends in the running groups. And I'm sure there are many more examples. And it's a question of looking for the ways in which you can belong to a community. I think that's incredible advice for people, especially in my position. They're going from they're either going to undergraduate or they're going to grad school. And you never really know where you're going to be. And it's quite intimidating. I mean, I'm starting school in probably about a month. (laughs) Yes. So I'm taking it to heart. Yeah. And it's a new, are you going to a different state altogether, Kiana? No, I'm not. I'm I'm going to be staying nearby, but I did leave to the other side of the country for undergrad. And that was a very educational experience, just moving away, being on your own. Yeah. Which no books can teach you. Oh, absolutely not. So when we were speaking before, you mentioned your pupillage and your experience with that placement. I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit more about that whole experience and the lessons that you learned? Because you did mention that you grew a lot in terms of emotional intelligence from that experience. And I'm curious for you to expand on it a little bit. It's important that we optimize every opportunity to be comfortable interacting with our parents' visitors, you know, with families who come to visit us and make an effort to have conversation, not only with, you know, children of your own age, but also with the elders, you know, with the elders in the room. Because it's these communication experiences that help you build your identity as an individual when you go out into university and also you start working. One of the things that I will touch upon later on is is really knowing your value and your identity. And where does that come from? It really comes from, you know, your background and the years of growing up with your family. Now, when I started my pupillage, one of the things um, I did really struggle with was building relationships. And that was interesting in the sense that, you know, in a pupil-master relationship, that's how the the pupillage went. One of the things that the master picked up was um, the ability to expand your horizons and really understand and learn a lot of other things other than law. So I had been so focused on the academic that I had forgotten as such in inverted commas, like to read up books of different nature. Mm -hmm. And I still remember he said, I want you to finish off the whole series on Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Now, this was before Harry Potter or War and Peace, you know. Um, These were all the different books he would say, go and read them. And that really gave me the interest and the ambition Um, because he also said one of the important things is, no, what do you want to become? And I said, I want to become the best lawyer I can be. And so reading this books enabled me to see 
why it was important to not just limit yourself to reading legal books, but really reading anything and everything out there. And of course, today we've got all these different podcasts that we can listen to, you know, everything from Bloomberg to Freakonomics, you know, like there's just, just so much out there and one is to prioritize what you want to listen to. And that helps with building not only your IQ, but your EQ and also your CQ, which is the emotional intelligence and also your cultural intelligence. Yeah, there's so much content out there these days. It's so hard to decide what to listen to. I, I find myself constantly starting a podcast and then I find a, a different episode that immediately grabs my attention and I want to jump into that one or even with educational videos on the internet. It's so hard to just deep dive into one thing because there's so much grabbing your attention. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. So you have to be really intentional about selecting what you want to read uh, or listen to, you know, like maybe it's three podcasts this week. You've got to miss some. Yes. But being intentional. Yeah. What are some examples of things you're listening to or reading right now? Um, Listening to a few. I do have a favorite um, leadership coach I follow on podcasts. Um, Dave Stehoviak. So I'm giving him a shout out because he's really good. Um, And so I do listen to a wide variety of them. And then in terms of reading, I'm actually reading a book by by a diverse author, you know, an author from Sri Lanka. It's about uh, death. So Again, it's where I am such an optimistic person, full of life, um, but I'm reading this book about death. um, And that just goes to show the importance of just reading and understanding different things in our lives without being quite pigeonholed. Interesting. I'm curious. I I would like to look up that book. I'll send it to you. (laughs) That would be great. Okay, I want to transition a little bit more into what it's like to be a woman in the legal field, especially a woman leader in the legal field. So I'm curious, as a female leader in your career, what challenges or unique challenges do you think you've faced because of your gender or just being diverse in general? And how have you overcome them? I may just take this question slightly differently. When we talk about as a female leader and, you know, unique challenges, number one, I think it's a recognition that we are a, you know, we're women. Mm-hmm. And um, and if we choose to either be the carer for our elderly parents or if we choose to... Um, have you know get married or uh, have children mm-hmm. in a way that primary caregiving responsibility falls on us as much as we may have relationships where our other half is taking an equal share of that responsibility for parenting or for caring from the moment you are pregnant with the baby for nine months and you know, and then when they are born all the way from, you know, wake up time to bedtime. 
somehow as mothers, we are drawn to that responsibility of giving the best and almost being, you know, being Mm self-sacrificial. And this, this inadvertently causes us to take our foot off the pedal sometimes Mm. um, and causes to decide whether we want to slow down the progress of our career and sometimes keep our ambition on the shelf until the children are much older. So a lot of women have made those decisions and they've decided either I'm going to stay at home or someone like me, what I did was, you know, I took jobs which didn't require for me to travel and jobs, you know, legal in-house roles where it was more nine to six but at the same time, I could carry on working at home if I wanted to, but not really be in the office after a certain time in the evening. So that, that kind of a challenge can have a negative or adverse impact on your career. Yeah. Because I have made the decision that I want to be a hands-on parent for my children, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's tiger mom, helicopter mom, whatever mom, <laughs> a lioness, yeah. it doesn't matter. The point is, I'd rather be there with them now at the same time, have a career and then accelerate the career at some point when they are much older. That is a challenge that many women feel feel in a legal career. Mm -hmm. The other one is there will always be men's clubs or men male clips at workplaces that will always be there with both the examples that I provided that can put us into questioning our self-worth. And especially if you feel like you don't belong somewhere, like the example of, you know, certain clubs or cliques uh, because they've all gone to the same school together or because they are all football moms, you know, by which point you do feel sometimes excluded and it can start to impact your self-confidence. And the way in which I overcame them was really to have strong family around me, strong friendships. And again, I go back to faith for different people. It means different things, right? It could be meditation. It could be a different faith. But for me, that was important. So the three Fs mm-hmm. formed my, my oak as such that, uh, supported me throughout my career so that if with strong friendships, I knew that they would lift me up, encouraged me when I needed that support. With families, I know that anytime I was feeling very beaten up, I could always find love mm-hmm. in my family. And as far as faith is concerned, I knew that there is something bigger than all this that's happening on earth today. You know, so so in a way, that was the way in which I overcame them so that if people talked about authentic leadership, I knew my own identity mm-hmm. and I was very sure of who I was and I am and the values I stand you know, on. And so if anyone or any, anyone's actions or words um, distracted me from my identity. I knew that the three Fs in a way was my fortress. Yeah, and the way the way I've been experiencing it mostly has been in 
such a subtle way. It'll be talking in a group and I get overlooked or my idea just kind of gets glossed over. And then maybe a man will suggest the same thing and then it gets taken seriously. It's just so many little subtleties that as a woman, you need to build up the strength to push through and like you said, just not let it affect your confidence. But yeah, I agree in that phrasing it in a way that says unique challenges um, kind of acknowledges the fact that there is an inequality in a way. Which is why we're in a legal profession, Kiana. (laughs) We can right the wrongs. Absolutely. We have the power. And that's why I completely believe that. Mm -hmm. So on this topic, let's speak a little bit about WELL. Can you tell us about WELL and its mission? Sure. And, you know, like throughout the podcast, I've been talking about, you know, friends, families and faith. Yep. Um, when I when I say friend, it's a very broad word, but it also includes uh, when you start working or even in university, it means having mentors in place, people who are there to give you guidance um, and lift you up and encourage you. So WELL stands for Women Empowered Life and Leadership. It's a not-for-profit to amplify the stories of women leaders of faith who have prevailed against bias and stereotypes and patriarchy Mm -hmm. by exemplifying certain leadership values that is predicated on the Christian faith. And again, every one of us, we've all got different belief, as I mentioned earlier on. So uh, in my case, it's that faith. And there is a large group of women who feel that we can, you know, stand together as a collective voice or a movement to amplify our stories and inspire the next generation of women who are coming through, you know, the ranks and to show them that, you know, you don't have to be worldly to achieve your ambition, but instead you can do it in a way that um, you remove the dependency of a job defining you and really being a lot more uh, centered on certain values that you have so that you have a more balanced life. And so it is, um, it's a not-for-profit and we are reaching out to women across the world a uh, unique offering is something that's called Coach in Residence, CIR, um, because again, over the years in my career, I have found that um, having a coach helps us in um, really trying to get back our career on track. It's someone you can speak to about, you know, our uh, some of the challenge, challenges that we are facing at our workplace. And so we've introduced that scheme with well as well and it's only for members it's a private space it's for you know and it's free membership as well and how can our female listeners get involved if they would like to yes of course we are always on the lookout for volunteers and for students in universities who want to get stuck in a project we welcome student you know we will do student internships at the same time, for members, for women who'd like to be part of our um, network, 
they can sign up at uh, www.womenlifeleadership.org. Awesome. I can't wait to check it out personally. <laughs> Thank you. Check out what it's called, uh, what's called Grace Lounge. That's where the coaching conversations happen on that site. Mm -hmm. Great. So it's almost time to wrap up. Just a couple more questions. Besides what we've touched on already, do you have any advice for aspiring lawyers, people in the legal career, especially women? I would say the one word, which is the why. You need to know the why you're joining a legal profession. It isn't for status, position, but it's because it is an industry where we are helping other people, you know, mm -hmm. people in need. We're serving others. There are some people who are driven by money, who are driven, you know, by different value system. And so the question is, why? Mm -hmm. You're not able to describe the why you're going into the legal profession. You really struggle trying to find the anchor that would help you find joy and happiness in your legal career. But personally, I think that's that's important. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and speaking with me. I'm so grateful that you took the time to have this chat. No, I know. It's wonderful. And all the best to you, Kiana, as you start your um, postgrad. Is that what you call it? Or the law school? Grad, grad school. Grad school. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Deepa. Thank you. All the best. Oh.